Hey there, it's Ethan. Look, today's movie is Ant-Man, which is about a guy who shrinks down to the size of an ant. So I'm going to shrink down right now and recite the hilarious intro that I wrote for this week's show. Let's do it. Go ahead, Brett. Oh, man, it's like being thrown out of a car getting back to big size. Are you okay? Are the guests here yet? No, not yet. Well, I feel terrible. I got to walk around. Are you doing a bit? No, I'm not doing a bit. This hurts. Have you ever been shrunk to an ant size? Greeting, Larva. I'm Ethan Edinburgh, your infinitely curious host, and this is Bad Science. Every week we put a new movie under the microscope to separate science fiction from science fact. This week is Ant-Man, a movie where a cat burglar becomes an ant-man to fight a yellow jacket while flirting with a wasp, and Michael Douglas is in it. You know our first guest from her improvised musical podcast, Off Book, the UCB show, and her many appearances on Comedy Bang Bang. It's the delightful Jessica McKenna. Hi, I'm normal size. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. And to help us break things down to the subatomic level, we have the actual science advisor from Ant-Man. He's a quantum physicist and an all-around charming dude, Spiro Mahalakis. That is so wrong. Oh. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Sorry about that. How do, how do I pronounce it? Mihalakis. Mihalakis. I got it. You want to give it a shot? Mihalakis. That is perfect. Wonderful. <laughs> and it sounds like a delicious food. It is actually with some uh, feta cheese. Oh, okay. Got it. Fantastic. So I wanted to start by maybe you could guess, Jessica, uh, what Spiro does. I think it's time to guess what the guest does. Okay. Um, so uh, let's see. The The only movie that I, that I saw that really dealt with shrinking before Ant-Man was um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So uh, I think you're probably, we got like a Rick Moranis level basement attic uh, tinkerer mm-hmm. uh, who doesn't have time to pursue their, um, their real love in their job as they support their family, but uh, do science on the side. That is really not close at okay, all. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> yeah, you made him kind of sound like a weird, like he studies by himself in like a bunker. Um, I just thought, you know, maybe like he had to be more practical and, and put like shrinking um, technologies to the side while he like solved more pressing problems. If that was true, would he be honest and tell us that that is what he's that he's You're right. No, he wouldn't. So we'll never know if he has no, a shrink ray in his, in his closet. <laughs> Unless we send someone right now while he's here to go check out his home. See if Spiro has a shrink ray. <laughs> uh, so, Spiro, why don't you tell us what is your day to day? What are you working on? How does a what does a quantum physicist do? Sure. Um, most of my time, I spend uh, staring at a blank wall and <laughs> well, bouncing. Is that the same as like a comedian? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. Right? You guys have the same job. That's fantastic. Yeah. Coming up with ideas that okay. usually are bad ideas until you hit gold. <laughs> Still right? the same. Okay. Yeah, it all so checks we have out. A lot in common. Yeah. Um, so, does that mean because from my very limited research? There's like quantum theorists and and like experimental quantum physicists. That's so right, which yeah. one are you? Can you be both? I of course I would love to be both one day, but um, you know it's something like I want to do when I grow up. But until then, I'm a theoretical quantum physicist, mm. and in particular a mathematical physicist. So I try to prove theories about how the universe works, not just like come up with theories. Got you. Okay. So you are, yeah, I guess kind of staring at a blank wall. You're kind of sitting with like, I would assume computers and some colleagues and trying to come up with theories. That's right. That and really, even, sorry, that really makes it seem like the people coming up with theories have like no stakes whatsoever. That They just get to like <laughs> drop a theory and then be like, figure it out, Spiro, we out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that actually. You know? That's the bottom funny. of the totem pole of theoretical physics where you have to do all the uh, shitty work. Yeah. Well, if the bottom of the totem pole leads you to the set of Ant-Man with Paul Rudd, that's pretty cool. That's not bad at all. That's yeah. not bad at all. So how did you get involved with the film? So the way it worked is uh, there is this wonderful organization um, that is part of the National Academy of Sciences called the Science and Entertainment Exchange, Ooh. or short for the exchange. And uh, they pair up scientists like myself with writers, producers, and sometimes you get lucky and you you become the go-to person for every Marvel movie, right? So wow. the way it happened for me is that after a few of my... Uh, 
um, meetings with writers, usually in Pasadena. We just get lunch or coffee or something. Wonderful. Glorious um, Pasadena, by the way. Shout out to the Pasadena Tourism Board. Beautiful That's Pasadena. Right. Check out Old Town. <laughs> Oh my <laughs> so, so I'm sorry. Again, your life is just still mapping over the same as being a comedian. Yeah, we met up for coffee just to sort of like exchange some ideas. And that was all I had to do that day. <laughs> yeah. And Pasadena really is the hot zone for that. Yeah, it that's right. It's pretty that's cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. But then I just get a, an email um, and I was flying out for, I do outreach beyond the research that I do uh, at Caltech, but um, I was flying out to North Carolina to check out this program for uh, for young women and to get them excited about science, technology, things like that, math. Um, but while I was uh, about to take off, I was at LAX, I get an email from the exchange saying, hey, by the way, sorry, this short notice, but could you fly out to Atlanta, Georgia, to be the advisor, the consultant for um, Ant-Man, a Marvel movie? Hmm. And of course, I said yes, even though I didn't know who Ant-Man was. <laughs> right. And I figured out who he was, like, you know, by buying the um, um, in-flight Wi-Fi ah. and reading everything I could find on Ant-Man. It's the best use of the Boingo hotspot yet. Yeah, that I've ever heard. <laughs> Go-go in-flight uh, used to bring us Ant-Man. Oh. Yeah, and I'm glad that it worked, by the way, because I feel like 99% of the time that I try the in-flight Wi-Fi, it never works. Yeah, that was actually surprising to me as well. It, it felt like it was, you know, the universe trying to tell me something, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it seemed like it worked out. It seems like a lot of fun. So I wanted to talk. I, I don't want to tear the movie to shreds. I feel like that's not why we're here. You know, we're not here to say that the movie's necessarily great or bad. So I'm not going to weigh in on that. So if it comes out and I offend you, please let me know. Um, I found so many problems with the movies and, and with the movie. And, and a lot of them had nothing to do with science. So I, it was really tough. I'm, I'm not going to bring those up. Was your main complaint just more Michael Pena? <laughs> oh, to be honest with <laughs> you, you like, yes. Get him in here some more. He's so good. Where's the third beat of him talking about wine and art? We only had two. Yes. It felt wrong. It felt wrong. Comedic rule of threes. What happened? Pina. Oh, well, not that it's his fault, of no, course. No, no, no. Yeah. No, he... I let Paul Rudd know how you yeah. feel about that. Yeah, please, please do. Please text yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a second and text him and see what he responds. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so... so Let's let's. I want to start with some soft science issues before we dive into sure. the subatomic level uh, animals. I didn't really understand why he's talking to these ants. I want to know if you have a, an opinion on this. If it was up to me, I would have probably chosen if I'm if I have that device to talk to gorillas, a half dozen gorillas. They feel like I feel like they'd kick as much ass as thousands of ants just because he's small. It doesn't seem like a connection enough to bring in all these ants. Yeah, now I think you're uh, making fun of Stan Lee, who is like over 90 years old. So <laughs> okay. I feel great Fair about enough. that. Fair enough. My fault. Um, well, I, I wanted to know if there was any scientific uh, research done in that area. Sure. Actually, um, even though I was the physics consultant, I think they reached out to Alex Wild, who is one of the um, foremost entomologists and ant experts. Okay. In fact, I think his um, Twitter account is named Anteater or something like that. Okay. Something Guys, search that, that out. Potential at. shout out for at Anteater. <laughs> yeah, very tough to say. I like how you took a second there. So I, uh, I, I even did um, at the California Science Center uh, Friday night, uh, Science Friday. Science uh, Friday, of him. course. And it was a lot of fun because he really knew his shit. I mean, it was amazing. Okay. Um, but as far as why they would use ants uh, to communicate, mm -hmm. I think often superheroes, as you said earlier, like why not just go like, you know, with gorillas or some more powerful like you yeah. know, beast. Rhino. But I think that, yeah, the, the best part about this is that, you know, what makes a superhero in my eyes um, more interesting is the weaknesses and overcoming the weaknesses that they have. Okay. Right? Versus just having all the super strength or always taking the easy way out. So using the ants to kick some ass. I mean, this is pretty amazing, right? You're like the last thing you would think. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's way more thematically tied. If it was gorillas, I'd be like, what? Why? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have <laughs> Then he would just be called, like, animal control man, you know? <laughs> I mean, pretty cool power. But, hey, uh, fun pitch, animal control man. Animal control man, Marvel. Marvel, are you listening? Are you listening? <laughs> Ding dong, you're going to run out eventually. Um, but is... <laughs> Jessica McKenna, as animal control man. <laughs> <laughs> I have no powers, but these animals do. And I exploit them. But um, I... 
Is there any, like, so he wears, like, an electro, and I, I guess maybe this was not exactly your area, but he wears, like, an electromagnetic hearing aid-looking device. Yes. But it can hear his thoughts. Like, to me... That is total science. <laughs> this yeah. is, like, it's from the future. Okay. Ah, we okay, just don't great. understand it yet. Great. And it's not, like, pheromones or hormones or anything like that, which is how they actually, like, communicate right. with each other. Mm. You could that that suit could convert like you know these signals into thoughts that you could like project into other people. Put out there. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Of course, Elon Musk already has the technology, by the way. Oh, great! So we'll have that's how we discuss like you know. Uh, He's here, isn't he? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he's downstairs. (laughs) He's downstairs. Um, Elon, come here, man. (laughs) Uh, Elon, about these uh, pheromones. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, In the next iteration of the simulation, can I be animal control man? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand why that's not a thing already. Um, okay, so leaving that aside, I wanted to also ask you, this is another kind of ridiculous question, if we have uh, shrank anything before, I don't even know if that's the past tense of shrink, shranken, it's kind of like drink, it's one of those. Yeah, it sounds weird, shrunk. Shrunk? Have we shrunk something before or enlarged something before? Hmm. I know I we have those water toys that you can, <laughs> you know, yeah. they start really small. That's and then sponge technology. Yeah, sponge technology. <laughs> I think the closest I've ever seen to anything like that is um, they have these machines where they can take a coin and then they zap it, like, you know, with incredible amounts of electricity and then compress it to a smaller, like, coin. Whoa. Yeah. So I think that's possible. But beyond that, um, since the Hank, uh, the PIM particle is actually uh, proprietary technology, you know, has not been used in the in commercial applications. Got you. Yeah. So it's still private information. Very private. Yeah, I just thought maybe in some lab at Caltech you've seen like a, a huge mouse or a tiny, I don't know, atom, atoms that are changing size or something like that. Again, we, uh, would he tell us, you know? That's a good call. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're hard to read. I Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so this, this coin, did it still like maintain the other like ratio and properties of the coin or was it like... Just, I mean, the density went up. Yeah. Right, because the volume went down a bunch. Right. Um, mm. So it... it felt maybe heavier, heavier for per square inch or something like this. Okay, that's interesting. So that is like the Ant-Man. And is, is this in any way related to a Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> just, just trying to figure out what I it is. I know the answer. <laughs> just that a was bit. a joke. A I know what a Bitcoin is, all <laughs> a right? Bit, a bit Blockchain, about Bitcoin. crypto, got it. <laughs> oh, so you were very hip to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, 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 real hip to it, real hip to it. Okay, great. Um, okay, so I do want to get into this. I feel like it's going to be the meat here of what we talk about okay. is quantum physics. I am in no way an expert. I don't know how your knowledge is. On... No, low, really low. In fact, okay. that's perfect. Yeah. I think. Um, when I took physics in high school, I um, would just like write my teacher notes in the margins that were like, you sure we even learned this? <laughs> Can we skip this one? Are you sure, bro? Are you sure this one's on me? And he, um, and then like sometimes I think they would rhyme, like I would write him a little poem. Um, like I would remember like, like half of what to do, like I'd put down the formula that was relevant and I'd be like, huh? Anything for this? What do you think, bro? And he wrote, he wrote me back, try physics for poets in college. Okay. Oh, that's a good that's a good idea, actually. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Canny, shout out. Mr. Canny, great guy. I do think that quantum physics is important for when you're trying to split the bill at the restaurant. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe this is going to end with us having a hilarious body switching comedy where me and Spiro <laughs> just switch lives. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. Um, okay, so quantum physics. I saw some videos. I know the double slit experiment is very popular. Particles, waves, etc. Give it to me like I know nothing. Okay, so since you actually don't know anything, I will give it to you. Thank you very um, much. Saw right through me. We've already switched bodies. Interesting. <laughs> that was a classic McKenna zing. I do apologize. Um, no, keep them coming. No, that's okay, so, Jessica. So let's see. So, so what is uh, yeah? What is quantum physics? Um, to explain, I guess, a little bit about quantum physics is to understand how humans have tried to understand the world for the past like. 10,000 years, right? Okay. What do we do? We ask questions, right? Sometimes these questions take the form of like experiments, other times just like observations over and over again, like the sun keeps coming up and all that stuff. So you ask these questions, you get answers, and you try to create a theory that can explain not just what you've seen, but also potentially predict other things that you haven't seen yet, right? Okay. And 
the thing that is classical physics is this universe of questions that you're given, right? And then you can only use those ones. So by using these, you can only also experience and observe very few things relative to the true nature of things, right? Mm-hmm. Underlying reality, for example. And quantum physics is just the release of that constraint, where all of a sudden you ask for Christmas, a bigger bag of questions, and you got it. And you have these amazing abilities now to explore the same object, the universe, right, or the multiverse, whatever it is, but from a much more interesting perspective. And we think that it is, you know, only a theory of physics for the microscopic world. Mm. That's not true, right? It is a theory of physics for everything. It's just that when you're at the microscopic level, these questions are something that you're allowed to use much more easily. You can actually probe with these particular ways versus doing it like at a more macroscopic level. We cannot ask these questions at our level. So you're saying it's easier to like try to prove these theories at an atomic level than like with planets or space and galaxies. That's right. Because many can't look at that. It's many of the questions that you're allowed to use at the microscopic level just disappear themselves. The answers are still there. It's just that we don't have the ability, right, to observe the universe the way we can at the microscopic level. Wow. Mr. Canny is giving you a run for his money. I kind of <laughs> synthesized some of that. <laughs> well, Uh-oh. Get him in here. I, do, I mean, <laughs> do you have his number? <laughs> get him in here. Oh, gosh. He's a great guy. I have so many Canny stories. I cannot derail <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a We'll do a, a sub-episode yeah, where we just <laughs> talk about him for an hour. So the thing about quantum physics um, is that it, it is not just misunderstood as being a theory of physics of the microscopic realm, right? Which is why they brought me in for Ant-Man. Um, it is also misunderstood at a more deeper level, more deeper. That's I'm from Greece, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it is not a theory of physics either. It is a theory of knowledge, right? So as a theory of knowledge, it's almost impossible to disprove it, right? Because it is a theory of how do you actually synthesize from the questions you can ask, imagine you wake up one day after a bad trip or something like that, right? And you, you do not understand how the world works around you. And you try to make sense of it. Like, you know, try to, to see patterns, like maybe something you'll call color or like distances, objects. You try to synthesize a worldview. Mm-hmm. Quantum physics is the most expansive way we have of trying to understand the universe Whatever universe that may be, it's not this particular universe only. It is like almost our ability for the first time as human race to to unlock what exists beneath, right? Not just this particular universe, but any possible universe would follow pretty much the same rules, up hmm. some caveats that I'm researching. So, so you're saying that these laws that we've learned about at the microscopic level are the same laws that we are have, like we have to live by, even as people walking around. I would, uh, this is a very interesting thing to say, and that's not what I said, Um, (laughs) but it's actually brilliant. And I'm very very surprised that- uh, You did it! (laughs) Okay, that's our show, guys. Thank you so much. (laughs) You have just touched upon one of the most insane ideas in all of science, um, which is the idea of emergence and universality. The idea that there exist laws at different levels of reality, right? From chemistry to biology, biology to anthropology, anthropology to economics, to how the planets roam around each other Mm -hmm. and other stuff like that. Um, Where the rules keep coming up again and again, the same types of rules, right? Right. So how is that possible without knowing the underlying structure, the microscopic realm, Mm -hmm. that you can forget about it and say, well, I don't need to understand you know, how chemistry works in order to be able to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Okay, you don't need to understand quantum physics to be able to throw a baseball. Right. The reasons are very deep, and it's because of this emergence. The fact that there exist any laws of physics whatsoever is actually an illusion, right? It's an illusion that comes from this emergence, that mm-hmm. these laws only appear at the level at which you're actually asking these questions. The questions themselves reflect a reality that is an illusion. Oh, man. Whoa. Uh, Ant-Man. I mean, we can do a song to uh, sum that up, but I don't know what the lyrics would be. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, yeah, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Not so just we'll, because I'd be making them up, but because I don't know if I know what he said. And I know what he said. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's what he said. It's yeah, a yeah. very quantum answer. Yeah, that's exactly. Great. That's right. I don't know what he said, but I know 
that he said words and I heard them. <laughs> so you're, so all of our understanding of laws are just reflection of our ability to ask that scope of question. That's right. That's very smart. Wow. I'm Great. I'm in the right place. Dang. Yeah, and I really love how complimentary you are to the two of us who are really <laughs> grasping at straws here. <laughs> um, I have really, truly really not thought about science for like 12 years. We're <laughs> yeah. like, what? You're <laughs> That's the thing. Um, so Let me dust off this very not visited region of my brain. <laughs> and then get complimented for it, yeah. which is nice. It's nice. So, yeah, I was... I was Again, upon very limited research, I saw comparisons to outer space. You know, they were trying to explain stuff on the on the quantum level by talking about planets and how it didn't work for our, you know, 3D dimension or whatever. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was that was kind of my thing where it was like, well, if it's the same laws on such a grand scale and such a small scale, well, the medium scale should be the same. Yeah. Why isn't it? Not, why is it not the same? Yeah, it is not the same because even though these mechanisms of emergence that are responsible for the creation of the laws of physics themselves at different levels, right? Because you have classical mechanics, which was Isaac Newton's idea of how the universe works when you throw stuff, rocket science, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. When you go down to quantum physics, what you end up having there is that the laws that rule quantum physics and the quantum realm are actually a refinement of the rules that we use as macroscopic beings, right? They are, the ones that we use here, the classical physics rules, are kind of like um, a limit, right? Mm. Where you forget a bunch of stuff and you say, I don't need all of these things. What does this look like when you kind of squint, right? And you're like, okay, I see, I can kind of see the picture better now than if you try to have full resolution. And this is actually probably the best way to describe it is if you're trying to watch a movie by putting your nose onto the TV, <laughs> you're not going to be able to understand anything, right? You'll have full resolution, maybe even see the pixels, right? Mm -hmm. But it won't make any sense. Only when you start zooming out, moving back, you can see the full picture. In fact, the very notion of meaning, right, of what meaning is, where we try to extract meaning from almost like random raw data, is not possible if you have full resolution. You have to actually remove yourself from that place where everything almost happens equally, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to go back to a place where certain patterns have emerged, right? Do you consider yourself like as much a philosopher as you are a scientist? It feels like it feels like quantum physics is like the sort of almost like going back to like Aristotle. Like it feels like it is almost like an unlearning to hopefully learn more. That is also really really smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should, we should hang out more, yeah. I just held up two peace signs because I did it. Yeah, you're definitely scoring more points than me, but I love that. I prefer that. It's great. Uh, no, I wanted to, to ask about entanglement. I know that it was recently proven. You know, you don't have to get into it. I could see you're, you're disgruntled a little bit. But, uh, but I did want to ask about it and just see, you yeah. know, your thoughts and what it is. For those who don't know that aren't so, brilliant scientists so such yes. as ourselves. So, yes. What is yeah. entanglement? Uh, um, according to popular media, entanglement is this uh, the ability of particles that are very, very far away from each other to instantly communicate mm -hmm. with each other. Um, that is incorrect, but also at the deeper level, correct. Ooh. Um, and it's incorrect because Einstein's theory of general relativity, actually mostly special relativity, tells us that the fastest thing, the fastest way to communicate between two points in space-time is, is light, right? Okay. It's just a light beam. Yeah. Um, but even that takes some time, right? So if you have instantaneous communication, then you have issues with causality and the grandfather paradox and all this fun stuff. But nevertheless, entanglement, in my mind, is actually nothing special. Ooh. Once you understand that space and time are not fundamental, okay? So I know there's a small caveat, but like once you understand that <laughs> and how that works, then entanglement is nothing but the fabric of space-time. Entanglement, you can think of it literally as a string that connects two points in space-time. So if two particles are entangled, it literally means that from their point of view, they're not separated at all. They're exactly the same object. Right. Only from the outside point of view, it seems that they are far away from each other. And the reason is because these particles are usually entangled with a bunch of other stuff as well, and with the fabric of the vacuum itself, even when there is no particles whatsoever. And you may think, oh, the vacuum is empty. That is anything but true. 
the vacuum is actually full of these like you know uh, entanglements, right? It is actually nothing but entanglement between subsets of the reality that exists. Oh, I'm really glad we didn't uh, choose um, a piece about entanglements as a reading in our wedding. <laughs> True story. It was on the table. It is monogamous, though. It is probably the only yeah. thing in the universe that is monogamous. I know. That's so where we like, I Maybe. had to appeal to my husband. Was like, yeah, that's, a, and it, we didn't. We used the little prince instead. But I was like, <laughs> close second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how particles entangled. You get it. You I get mean, it the sounds metaphor. romantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I'm not wrong, what you're saying is to these uh, fanatics going all crazy about entanglement, all they want to talk about is entanglement. Uh, no, they're there. Not a lot to talk about. Not, well, there is like something, there is something. Well, entanglement is actually a very big deal, but not for the reasons that they think. Right, for much deeper reasons, much more important reasons. Okay. So it should have been in our wedding. Dang. <laughs> you messed up. We Dang. can always go back in time by using like a wormhole that is being accelerated at its two mouths. Perfect. So, okay. But you may be stuck in a close time like curve, and that may be an issue. Like, That's true. Yeah. Or you could just purposefully get divorced and then get married again. Yeah. And then the second time, entanglement all over the place. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Vegas. <laughs> and do it in Vegas by yourselves. <laughs> Much cheaper. Um, so I wanted to talk about a quantum leap and if that could one day lead to teleportation, if they're related, and when can we teleport? Okay, so teleportation, according to Star Trek, and also the reason why I got into quantum physics, I was doing actually more evolutionary biology and bioinformatics like after my undergraduate degree. And so the reason why I became a quantum physicist it's because my um, PhD advisor said, hey, you could do this other stuff or you could work with me on quantum teleportation. And I said, of course, I drop everything else. I have no loyalty to anything before. I don't even care about my mom anymore, right? I'll do quantum teleportation. Teach me, okay? okay. And uh, he couldn't teach me, so I, I got a book. He gave me a book, and so I learned about that stuff on my own. Mm. But it was fascinating because, of course, I thought originally that it was like a transporter, right, you know, from, from Star Trek. Um, but it's actually much more interesting than that. Whoa. Why? The first thing, like, you have to consider when you want to teleport somewhere is how the hell are you going to know the coordinates of the place we're going to teleport, right? How, you know, there has to be a bridge, an anchor, okay, that says, okay, this is point A, point B, you're going to go from point A to point B, but this needs to be known in advance. And in fact, according to Einstein, and he's very right about this one, there is no way to have like coordinates within space and time. There is no unique way to set this up. Depending on how fast you're going, everybody like has their own coordinate system of like, you know, where, where everything is and when it happened and all that stuff. So that would be pretty impossible, right? Mm. But what if you could actually use a bridge that exists outside of space-time, underneath space-time, right? The thing from which space and time emerges. So pop quiz. <laughs> what is that thing? Uh. It starts with an entanglement. <laughs> you then... use an entanglement. <laughs> Is Excellent. That, right? wow. that is amazing. Right. Thank you. Not surprised this time for some reason. But, um, <laughs> so I was going to go with turtles. Yeah, turtles I had all the way down. Yeah, turtles, turtles all, all the way, way down. down. Yeah, I had um, an even worse guess, so I'm glad, glad you got <laughs> the answer to that one. Jeez. It would be inappropriate probably. But, um, yes. but entanglement is the answer, right? So, again, remember what I said earlier. If entanglement really means a connection that is stronger than, like, you know, distances that we observe, that we say, oh, but this is so far away from this other particle. How could they communicate and all that stuff? If they're the same object and we misunderstand them as thinking, oh, oh this is one half of it and this is the other half far away, mm. that's our fault. That's because of the way this entanglement network works, the most likely like interpretation of what it, what it looks like when space and time emerges from it is that, oh, yes, there's a particle over here and a particle over there, and there's a bunch of other stuff in between before you can go from one side to the other. Right. right? A very small probability that you could just activate this connection between one and the other and just travel through it. Okay? But it is possible, and if you have a strong enough entanglement, then effectively you create what is called a wormhole, right? right. A, a, a path between two different points in space-time where they all of a sudden, it sounds exactly the same as what I described before, by the way, right? They seem to be exactly the same point, just like from Interstellar. If you remember, they have this piece of paper, they fold it in half, and they put like a, a pencil through it. Right. Entanglement would be that pencil, right? Okay. But would that just be me rejoining me? Somewhere else. 
that is that is deep. I thought this was not going to be one of those podcasts. <laughs> oh no, it's a deep podcast. Okay, okay. Let me because see. Because if they're the same, they're the same. Well, or some particle in me is going to re is going to join. That is actually really smart. It's same particle. So so yes, it would mean that you never even left yourself. Oh my you God. were always there. I knew I was always there. <laughs> I knew you could count on you. Yeah. It's like a, like a nice ending to a movie. Yeah. Like you found yourself, but you were always there. Wow. Wow. It's really sweet. Brought to you by entanglement. I do <laughs> I do I do sometimes do the like mental gymnastics of like, ah, that didn't work out for me, but somewhere the other me is having a great time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's really nice. Are there um are there entanglements that are like multiple particles? Yes, even though what I said earlier is still true, that full entanglement, maximal entanglement between two particles is monogamous, which means that if somebody else wants some of the action, you know, you have to let go and you're not going to be as strongly correlated and tangled right. with this other particle. But yes, you can have multi-entangled states of particles and of other things. But you heard it here, relationship advice, the strongest entanglement is monogamous. That's right. <laughs> Spiro! If your relationship's on the rocks. <laughs> Give him love advice. <laughs> yeah, some of these lines may work. <laughs> um, so there has been, there have been some experiments with teleportation, right? Sheep and whatnot, uh, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, this is not true. That's not true? No. This is myth. No. It was goats. It was goats. Okay. All right. Also Excuse not true. Me. Also not true. Oh, still not true. Uh, no, there have been no experiments with teleportation because if there were, then obviously that would be the Huge. richest person on earth because of LA traffic at the very least. Sure. So, sure. Um, but the way you would create a teleportation machine is first of all, you would need to actually uh, create entanglement between two sets of particles or like you know, whatever it is, matter, then separate that matter far away and then somehow be able to use what we call the teleportation, the quantum teleportation protocol, which actually fuses you from one half of these atoms and you become part of it. But remember now, because you become part of that half, that half was never a half. It was the same, the complementary, the mirror image of the other half, hmm. the one that is far away from us, right? Right. So you almost like squeeze through by becoming like, you know, one with the thing that was already one, but spread over to different like distant places. Gotcha. And then you appear like on the other side. But this requires what we call a collective measurement, which may sound easy, but it's not. And can we, do we know if we can create entanglements? Yes, we can create entanglement. In fact, we've been doing it for a long time at wow. Caltech and other places. And we've even done the teleportation protocol, but not with you know massive objects, like more with light and maybe some smaller things too. But Yes, and it happened at Caltech first. That's pretty About cool. like, you know, Shout 20 years ago. Yeah, we, we were small, but, uh, you know, but interesting, interesting non That is actually true. Yeah, small but the best. That's who, the motto of Caltech. Who, who told you? Uh, I look up a lot of stuff. You, you, do you know the handshake too? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll do it uh, after the podcast. All right, sounds good. Um, so if you've already teleported light and small things, how far do you think we are? From well, the, the problem is that even if entanglement is equivalent to wormholes connecting these, like, you know, two pieces of matter, um, usually these wormholes are non-traversable, meaning that not even light can actually teleport through it, right, and break the law of physics that the fastest way is, you know, is light to travel. And by the way, for the teleportation protocol to work, you actually still need to send a beam of light between the two places but not to teleport, that will not contain the information of the object you're trying to teleport. That will just be saying to the other person on the other side or the computer or whatever, this is how you should reconstruct. Oh, okay? so it's not, not even like thing. how to reconstruct this, this is how you should unlock, right, you know, the door on the other side. Gotcha. Okay, does not really contain any information about the, you know, the object itself, just something about the setup, right? Okay. So, but there is, it is possible to actually create I mean, we're working on it, I guess, theoretically speaking. Um, You're theoretically working. Yeah, theoretically working on this, staring at I'm a wall. I'm always theoretically working. <laughs> but it yeah. is, I mean, it is cutting edge science. It is at the level of like quantum gravity and the theory of everything, right? Where we, I think for the first time, the human race is uh, coming to terms with being able to understand space and time so fundamentally that we can manipulate it. And again, if the ingredient is entanglement, right, then... How do you manipulate entanglement? You use a quantum computer. That's why we're working on quantum computers, gotcha. right? I mean, we're working on quantum computers for other reasons, so I can read your email and like, sure. you know, get all your money and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So if I'm hearing you correctly, 2022 teleportation. 2022, 20 times 22. Yeah, in 440 years probably we'll have like uh, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, but but I mean it is it is strange theories because. In order for you to be able to actually open a traversable wormhole, usually the current idea is you have, you create two black holes that are entangled, you separate them, mm. okay? And then you manipulate as you jump into one black hole, which does not sound cool. No, it's dangerous. But yeah, I mean, at you least get you- get spaghettified, right? You, you get spaghettified unless though there is another black hole on the other side, Ready so you don't. Ready to catch that mom's spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to drain it. That's right. Strain That's it, right. I mean. And then you, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be like, because if one person jumped in from one black hole and the other one from the other one, you could have a nice long life until you hit a singularity. Yeah. But there is a new idea. Maybe oh. you could escape the black hole. Ooh. You jump in from one, but by the time you've actually like crossed that horizon, then you end up coming out of the other black hole. Like as if you appear outside of the boundary, the event horizon of the one that you were supposed to be stuck within on the other side. And how would you do that? You would manipulate the entanglement between the black holes so that the boundary of the external black hole would actually, you know, deform enough for you to be able to come out of it. So that's pretty cool, right? And if that works, we'll be so rich. <laughs> wow. I feel like you're a, like a CIA operative that they're trying to catch and that we have here. Like you have information that seems really that's, that's classified. What, that's what my girlfriend tells me. <laughs> I mean, it works for you. It's pretty cool. Um, okay, let's get back to Ant-Man for a second. Obviously, I think this is all related, right? I of mean, course. It's, quantum physics it's all, all relative. It's Paul all Rudd, relative. By the way, Paul Rudd knew all of these things. Oh. When I uh, sat with him in Atlanta at that studio, mm. and I was so impressed that he would actually let me even speak. <laughs> Instead of just saying like Spirit, I got this because there was Peyton Reed and like a bunch of other producers there, right? You know, directors, yeah. writers, VFX people. Um, he's a very smart guy. Wow. Very, very smart yeah, that's guy. pretty impressive. Yeah. I uh, yeah. certainly did not know any of this. Um, so a PIM particle. Did you say pimp particle? A uh, pimp particle. Okay. No, a uh, PIM. P Y M. P Y. Okay. Is that correct? That's Saying correct. that correctly. Yes. Uh, can you describe what that is? Theoretically, uh, of course. Theoretically, of course, yes. Um, so I did some thinking after um, I got this assignment for Ant-Man. And on the flight to Atlanta, I was like, all right, so everything that is exotic uh, about the Marvel Universe or even DC or whatever, but mostly Marvel Universe, when you get superpowers, either you were bitten by something or a neutron beam hits you in the face. Okay? Right. right. <laughs> um, so I thought, well, what if this pin particle is not a, a neutron, but a neutrino, right? And a neutrino is this like tiny, tiny particle um, that if it combines, say, with an electron, it can actually create a heavier version of an electron, something called a muon, okay? And muons have all the same chemical properties, charge and all that stuff as an electron. It's just that they are, say, 200 or 1,000 times heavier depending on like, you know, which one you create, right? They're heavy electrons. And what does it mean to have a heavy electron? A heavy electron will actually want to orbit much closer to the nucleus. Ooh, all of a sudden, <laughs> your atoms have shrunk like in by 200 times. Uh, Everything else, all the other chemical properties, the internal consistency of matter remains the same. The only problem is that they also decay in like a few milliseconds or something like that. But if you combine this with well-known, as you guys know, relativistic effects, you know, traveling near the and orbiting near the speed of light, then what seems like a millisecond to us is like a lifetime for these, you know, particles. So they could potentially live very long, and he could be very, very small as Ant-Man for for you know a few minutes, hours, stuff like that. Okay. And so, did you approach the Ant-Man people with this theory of information? Did they change? That was, I think, these ideas hit me while I was, um, you know, going back to the uh, uh, to Atlanta's uh, airport. Yeah. And I never told them because I was hoping, like, you know, they would pay me to tell them the, the truth. Right. <laughs> they didn't care. They didn't care. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of my... I wanted to know how your relationship with them, like the back and forth of it a little bit, because I would imagine that you would have issues 
with a lot of the inconsistencies, uh, the, the you know density you know, stuff. I'll be I'll be honest. So here's what actually happened. So I was brought in literally a week before filming started in San Francisco <laughs> for the first movie. Okay. Okay. So, so not a lot of time yeah, to make adjustments. And, and it was more about validating the script. And I did find out at that point that Paul was not just the lead, but also he was one of the writers. And he's also the writer for the second movie coming out. Ah. Um, that's why it's so freaking funny, right? Yeah. You know, it wasn't just Michael Pena. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so... Didn't hurt, though. <laughs> that's right. He's awesome. Rudd gave um, Pena a third beat. <laughs> come on, Rudd! <laughs> so, so when I was there, I, you know, I felt they were really... Uh, I mean, they were listening very, very carefully, and they were very excited about some of these ideas. And, in fact, a bunch of them made it into the movie. Mm. I, for example, where uh, Michael Douglas says to... Uh, um, well... You know, Scott, uh, right. who's supposed to be like Ant-Man, that, oh, yeah, nobody really understands how things work down there. In fact, you know, the, the laws of nature have not, or space and time and the laws of nature, you can, you know, see the movie again, it says exactly that, like, have not crystallized yet, right? It's always verbatim what I said. So, nice. like, oh, I like this. So, they, they put it in. And then at the end of the movie where his daughter is like calling out his name, that yeah. was my idea. I was like, oh, the thing that brings him back because he's untethered from reality at this point, right? Being at the quantum realm. Spiro, you wrote the climax of the film. I mean, you know. <laughs> and I, that's really the philosopher's side of you, you know? Like, it is our emotional entanglements that will bring us back. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's the name of the song we're going to write in this wow. episode. <laughs> emotional entanglements. <laughs> like a dashboard confessional song. But, but my favorite part about this process was what happened afterwards, right? So I didn't have, I mean, you know, they uh, they invited me to go to San Francisco, maybe hang out with them, maybe if they needed more consulting on the spot and all that stuff, but I was very busy with some other stuff at Caltech. I regret it fully. <laughs> um, but, but nevertheless, I think they did, like, a great job. Why? Because remember the reason why I got into science was not because of good science. It was because of bad science. That's right. Right? I mean, we didn't have teleportation devices, but... All these ideas from Star Trek, for example, have actually inspired people like me to make these things a reality or at least to figure out why they cannot work or how they would work. Right. And in the process of trying to get this particular technology, you end up creating theories or even technologies that go far beyond what you expected, right? which I think is pretty cool. Um, but what happens afterwards is when the, um, the script for the, the second movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, was being developed... This time, they came to me six months in advance. Uh -huh. And they said, let's have another meeting right here. Let's try to develop some of the story, some of the ideas and all that stuff. What it was do you think the climax exciting. of the movie should be? <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and this time, I actually wrote a bunch of stuff in Whoa. the script. Whoa. So it wasn't just like things I was telling. I, I, I know I've seen the script. I've seen everything. I, I would die if I said anything. But like, <laughs> and it's, I'm just going to say it's hilarious and it's going to be awesome. But, um, sure. but yeah, to have that access, I don't know if any other scientist ever in the history of mankind had access to a Disney or Marvel movie, like because, you know, they have guards around you and stuff like that. Right. Even though they sent it to me over email, which was amazing. But, uh, <laughs> but it did have my name plastered in the back of every page, so they can find me. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome, man. Uh, well, congrats on that, first of all. And Thank secondly, you. I really think it's so beautiful what you said about how the bad science can inspire people to make good science. I think that's like, that was one of the huge things I wanted to talk to you about because I, I understand that a week out, it's not enough time to say like, I have all these problems with a script, change these scenes. That's like, it's not, it's not, it's not gonna happen. But uh, but there were some, some issues and I'd like to go over them with you and just yeah. see, because I'm sure people give you crap about it all the time. No, in fact, the truth is that I did not get to see the script the first time at all. I had no idea what was, or I mean, I had no idea what they put in there until I watched the movie myself. And I was like, holy crap, they actually used this and they did that and they set it up this way. Okay. The rest, you know, I had nothing to do with, but nevertheless. I was so like, they just Damn. came to you with uh, concepts or just Yeah, just asking you me about... questions about like, you know, without okay. me even knowing the context of gotcha. what they were planning to do. So Okay, yeah. okay. So let's get your thoughts since you didn't know. And you didn't sure, have yes. influence here. Um, the density is the is the big one. So oh, there's yeah. there's some weird uh, inconsistencies with with that. So for example, when he's like really uh, small, but he's supposed to weigh the same oh, or yeah. have the same and fly on top of an ant. Right. 
I did tell them about that. Okay, so yeah, yeah that's but, what I was... But then again, this came down to, I think, I mean, I, I don't know, but uh, I think it was because it was a tribute to Stan Lee and like the original ideas and all that stuff that, you, you know, it would really change the nature of the movie if they had to deal with that. Right. So what I said, like, well, you know, that, that suit is doing all the heavy lifting, yeah. right? Because there's also ways, like, you know, to take care of density. Um, it could be, you know, similar to how this, as, you know, matter is energy, E equals mc squared, right? When mm -hmm. C is equal to one, which is what we physicists, you know, set the speed of light to be relative to everything else, then it literally says energy is matter. So if some of this relativistic energy from the shrinking, right, yeah. can actually like be released, like, you know, transformed in such a way so that matter itself, the mass goes down, then you can maintain the same density. That's one mechanism. Okay. Potentially, right. The other one, of course, is that you know there there there's some powerful superconducting, like you know magnets or something like this, that keep him afloat and like keep him as if he is weighing whatever he's supposed to be weighing as a tiny like man. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Tiny, tiny man. Well, we know he's supposed to weigh more than an ant because he cracks that bathroom tile. That's right. That he, is he, right. He goes through. He, yeah. If if it was true, like you know, density, true to form. Then he would not be cracking the tile. He would be going right through everything. He would be like almost a black hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I came so. across multiple people that said that it would be he would become a white dwarf essentially. Does that make sense? That is racist. <laughs> You're right. I'm so sorry. We'll we'll edit that out for sure. I don't want to be perceived that way. Um, but uh, but yeah, I came across that multiple times, and I just yeah, thought yeah, no, it it's, seems it's, it's all true. I mean, and the smaller okay. he gets, also, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, when he's an ant-sized, like, you know, man, then, okay, you can get away with some stuff. But when he goes into the quantum realm, mm -hmm. we're like, you know, we're not even talking about how does he breathe, right? Because oxygen is even larger than him. Right, like, that's you know, what I was going to ask stuff. about that, too. If sure. he's able to breathe, if that's a suit it, it's thing. It's all the suit thing, okay. right? As, suit magic. Imagine, imagine that what is, and this is what I suggested also, that imagine that what, what is really going on, you stay exactly the same size, is that everything else explodes up to, like, to be 200 times bigger. Uh -huh. Right, and all of a sudden, like you know, you have boxes that look like boxes you could pick up. They still weigh about the same, but it's so difficult to balance them because they're so huge relative to you. Right, you have torque and other forces playing, yeah. you know, a role here. Um, but again, mostly, you know, they they didn't care about any of that because <laughs> you only have so many minutes, and it wasn't an educational movie, right? Which I actually appreciate because sure. it would have been like. Ten of my friends, we would have watched that other version of the movie. Yeah, exactly. I would have like, be yeah, science. <laughs> this is so accurate. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, so if I'm not mistaken, if he actually got really small, his voice would change. I mean, yeah, it would be really high pitched. That's right. And also, what you would be able to see would be like, uh, think about how we see, right? I know this because my girlfriend is an expert on how the retina works. So of course, you know, she it's is. not because I'm a quantum <laughs> physicist, of course. So, so how do we see? We have rods and cones, right? And these, like, they get affected by specific wavelengths of light, right? right. Because we only see from 400 and some nanometers of like light wavelength up to like I don't know 700 and something, and everything outside of that spectrum, the visible spectrum, right, is either UV or infrared light, and so. The reason why we see this visible spectrum is only because the, the molecules responsible for activating, right, you know, this phototransduction cascade, as it's called, respond to these, you know, to these uh, um, wavelengths of light, mm. right? They can actually be seen by it. Why? Because if the wavelength of light was longer, then it would just right go over it and you wouldn't even be able to, you know, to interact with it as the cone or the rod in the eye. Or if it is much smaller, it may be like UV light, it destroys it because it excites it, it has so much energy that it breaks it, right? So yeah. when he shrinks, all of this stuff shrinks with him. And so you end up seeing like wavelengths that are 200 smaller than visible light, for example. Voices hearing that are like, you know, also you speak that way, it's like you're in a helium balloon of super helium or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, okay, so uh, I, I mean, that's pretty much all that I all that I have here. I don't know if you have any questions, Jessica, about the film or about oh his Ant-Man 2. Well, it's not called Ant-Man 2, right? Ant-Man no. and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp, and it's a big deal because um, Evangeline Lilly uh, is going to be the first female lead in the Marvel um, no universe. No way. Is that true? So that's going to be really awesome. She is. It, it, She's gonna be the first superhero, like you know that yeah. is. Yeah. Wow. Because it's the Black Widow, but you know, it's it's not the same as being like. Yeah. 
the Wasp. That and not just Evangeline Lilly, but Michelle Pfeiffer, the original Wasp. Mm. I can't wait to go to that premiere. <laughs> yeah. Oh. For the movie you wrote by yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Look out, Spiro's girlfriend. Michelle Pfeiffer could pull him back from the quantum zone. <laughs> <laughs> Any day. Um, great. Okay, well, um, obviously, thank you both for being here. This was fantastic. Thank you. I feel thank like we've learned a lot. Us. Oh, come on, of course. And uh, if it's all right, yeah. maybe we could try to yeah, let's... sum up <laughs> these beautiful, um, amazing, life-changing lessons that but, we've learned here today. Yeah, this is uh, this is really going to crunch my head in multiple in multiple ways. So, yeah, just in case, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, that was a lot of great information. I don't know if I can retain all of that. I need some sort of shortcut right. into all of that knowledge. This is this is, should be enough. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> I can't imagine this going well. <laughs> Have a little more faith. (laughs) Jesus. So complimentary the whole day. Amount of science, not faith. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Oh. If we could go back in time, well, here's something I know just fine. You should take your 11th grade physics book and never give it a second look. Unlearn the classics. They're the beginnings of something tragic Because they make us think that we have A limited bag of questions What a suggestion Einstein knew a few things We're entangled like a couple of strings But those entanglements They are just me Not me and you It's just me and another me Just me and another me Entangled simply Simply It's just me and me Wow. Unbelievable. So Jessica McKenna. Impressed. Yeah, me too. Thank you, guys. Okay. Unbelievable. Okay, so yes, once again, thank you to my guests, Biro, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come back anytime and go see Ant-Man and the Wasp, written Coming by Spiro. Out July 6th. Not just me, otherwise written you'd be Written entirely terrible. by Spiro. <laughs> entirely by Spiro. It says that That's in the That's right, it's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, Jessica, you have anything you want to plug? Oh, anything yeah. Listen to the Off Book Improvised Musical Podcast. Comes out every Tuesday. That's it. Great. So yeah, listen to that and uh, not this, and uh, we'll <laughs> see you. Listen to this also. Oh right, right, right. You Sorry. You already are. Ah, yeah, all right. So keep listening to this. De- definitely listen to Off Book. Go see Ant Man and the Wasp, and we'll see you next time. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our associate producers are Sachin Medhecker and Brent Butler, and our entangled producer is Brett Kushner. 